Well, good morning, friends. Good to be here with all of you this morning. If we've not met, my name is David Rapp. I am one of the pastors here at Deer Creek Church and was brought on to eventually work to help start a new church in Golden. Uh, over the last 20 years, our family has had the privilege of being a part of starting a new RUF college campus ministry in Oregon and then starting a new church in Central Texas, in Temple, Texas, where we were for 14 years. And then last summer, he called us back here uh, to be a part of starting a new church in Golden, to reach new people uh, in a new place with the hope of the gospel. And Deer Creek is a huge part of that. So I wanna say thank you so much uh, for being so involved in starting new churches. We couldn't do what we're doing without your support, without your prayer support, without your financial support. So thank you so much. Uh, I also wanna let you know that we are still greatly in need of more ministry partners. So if you have the desire and the ability to join us as a prayer partner or a financial supporter, I'd love to talk to you and, and talk about how you can do that. Um, and I also, uh, we, we would love to help you uh, sign up for our prayer updates as well. Denver is a city of almost 3 million people, and it has relatively few churches for that number of people, particularly uh, in our own denomination. And so Deer Creek is a part of the Western Church Planting Network, which is eager to help start new gospel-centered churches, uh, particularly uh, in this area, in our region, to reach new, pe new people uh, with the gospel. And Deer Creek's already been a part of starting a new church, Elevate Hope and Centennial. And next Sunday, uh, our newest church, Christ Presbyterian Church in Inglewood, is going to have their first public worship launch service. And so I'd encourage some of you to consider uh, coming over there and being a part of that and encouraging them. And I'd also consider some of you to prayerfully consider being a part of that new church plant, joining it, serving in it, helping establish a new church in that area. We're excited uh, over the coming year to work towards starting a new church in Golden. And maybe some of you would consider being a part of that. Golden has been described to me as sort of a, a wilderness of churches, a place where there is a, a hole in the map, so to speak, when you look at the map of churches in our region. But I've been really encouraged as I've been welcomed by some of the local pastors of existing churches to join them in the work that God has been and is continuing to do in that area. And we've been encouraged as we've been meeting neighbors and having the opportunity to build relationships and even share the gospel We've had um, two small groups that we do. We've got a group that meets here at Deer Creek, uh, and that's going to be launching, as Chad said, in two weeks on September 17th. So if you're interested in hearing more about a new church in the Golden area, I'd encourage you to, to think about joining that group. We also have a group that gathers at our home uh, on Sunday evenings. And one of the things that, that we do and will continue to be doing is discussing what a church community would look and feel like that you would be excited about inviting your friends and neighbors to. Maybe even people who don't presently know Jesus. Um, we had, we had a, a big Easter feast this year. And, and one young couple said, hey, would it be okay if, if we invited some friends to come who probably aren't Christians? And I said, no, this is an Easter feast. No, of course not. I said, yes, of course. That's why we're here. That's why we're doing what we are doing. 
Uh, so what would, what would that kind of community look like where you would actually want to invite your friends who aren't yet Christians? And I think it would look something like this community does, a people uh, who aren't pretending to be perfect, a people who are able to be honest and open about the real struggles of life, but also people who are able to talk about Jesus and how he meets us in the midst of every different kind of struggle we might encounter. But why start a new church? And why was, why was this church started almost 36 years ago? Why would any of us consider leaving whatever sense of safety and security we might have in order to go into the dark places of the world, places that are still in need of the light of the gospel? For some of you, that might not mean moving to another city. It might simply mean stepping out of some of your existing comfortable relational circles to interact with new people. Maybe going to new places where you might encounter more people who don't yet know Jesus. Why is the church in the world? Well, in this passage that we're going to look at, we're going to look at John 17 together this morning. And this takes place the night before Jesus dies, the night before he goes to the cross. And he's with his followers and he prays for them and he prays for us. He prays to his father for the church. It's known as Jesus's high priestly prayer. And in it, we hear his desire for us, his purpose for his people in this world. And hopefully this serves as a good preparation for us as we move into the book of Acts this fall, which is all about Jesus's continued mission in the world by his Holy Spirit and through his church. So as you listen to this, I want you to uh, listen for the prepositions. That's a grammatical term, but listen to words like in and of and not of and places where Jesus is describing what the church is, where the church is, what he hopes for. Jesus tells us why we're here. And then as you hear God's word, I also want you to think and realize that this is Jesus praying for you, for us, for our mission together. So we've got it on the screen. Uh, I'm going to read for us John chapter 17, verses 1 through 26. So let's give attention to the hearing of God's word. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that, your word, now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. 
I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in, tr in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these that you have sent me, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you this morning that you are not a God who has remained hidden or in secret, but you are a God who has revealed yourself. So often we struggle with questions of meaning and purpose in our lives, trying to figure out our place in this world. Jesus, we thank you that you came into this world to welcome people like us into relationship with you, and you desire to use us in the lives of other people. So Holy Spirit, would you encourage us as we hear these words of Jesus and remind us that our King is on the move, that he is yet at work. Would you help us to hear and feel him interceding for us, empowering us. Would you encourage us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever wished that you could just kind of pick up, pack up, and move to a deserted island? Maybe some of you have, have read the book Swiss Family Robinson or, or maybe seen the movie. Wouldn't it be nice if you could just take your family and go off to a deserted island with, with a nice treehouse somewhere, maybe without the pirates trying to attack you? but a place where you could just be removed from the dangers and frustrations of the world. Sometimes, sometimes I think the church is tempted to do just that. And the reason is because we so often don't feel at home in the world, and so we want to check out of the world. There was a movie that came out several years ago called Elysium. Maybe some of you saw that. And the basic premise is this. The world has become overpopulated and contaminated. And there are essentially two classes of people. There are the super wealthy elite who build this space station that is kind of away from but orbiting the earth. It's a place where they can kind of stay removed and avoid the contamination on this overpopulated earth. And they do everything that they can uh, to protect the life that they have created. They work hard to stay separated from the people who are down on earth so that they don't have to become contaminated. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to visit another country. And 
as we were being taken around, we were constantly being warned of the dangers that existed. There, there were things that we couldn't eat, couldn't drink. We had to take medication that kept you from sleeping so that you wouldn't catch a disease. We were driven through these high walls into a compound and everything seemed to whisper, you're not supposed to be here. It's not safe for you to be here. Now, of course, there are good and wise reasons to take precautions, to not be stupid, to be careful. And yet, so often, I think this is a picture of how followers of Jesus, people like me, are inclined to engage in the world where we live. We're inclined to stay separated because we are fearful of being contaminated. We tend to want to stay separated so that we don't get contaminated. In the Lord of the Rings, in the first book, The Fellowship of the Rings, the hobbits, these little halfling people, go on this great journey to save Middle-earth by destroying this evil ring of power. And if you're familiar with the story, at one point after evading these evil horsemen, these dark riders, um, they make it safely to the land of Rivendell, the, the realm of the elves. Rivendell is really the place where we all want to be. It's a place of peace and safety and tranquility. It's a safe place. But here's the thing. The ring can't stay in Rivendell. It's got to be taken into the dark places, into the heart of the enemy territory, into Mordor to be destroyed in the fires of Mount Doom. But who would want to go into a dark place? I mean, why not just stay in Rivendell. I think if I were one of the hobbits in the story, I would be inclined to look up to the author of the story, J.R.R. Tolkien, and say, hey, this is a great ending point. Put your pen down. I think this is a great place for us just to stay. Why can't we stay right here? Why not stay in the safety of Rivendell? Or maybe just leave the world entirely. I mean, in the story, the elves are in the process of evacuating Middle-earth and getting on boats and heading to another land on the other side of the sea. Why not go somewhere else where we can have a peaceful existence? And the reason is, in the story, in Lord of the Rings, because that is not the mission that they have been summoned to. And the reality is, is that that is not the mission that the church, followers of Jesus, have been summoned to either. But why on earth would we want to leave whatever safety and security we presently enjoy in order to move into the dark places, places that are still in need of light? When this passage, Jesus is about to leave his followers. He's going to die. He's going to be resurrected, and he's going to go to his father, but they are being left behind. And the question is, will they be safe in the world? And why are they being left? Why is the church in the world? Why are God's people in the world at all? And how is the church supposed to relate to that world? What's our purpose here? What are we supposed to be and do here in this place at this time? And what kind of community should we be praying that God would be growing us into? And so this passage helps us address a few key questions about our purpose and our mission. First, where does Jesus expect his church to be? And then how does he expect his church to relate to the world? Well, if you look at verses 14 and 16, uh, Jesus says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And so we see the church is holy, it's separated, it's set apart. 
That's what it means to be holy. But what kind of separation is that? Is it physical? Is it spatial? Is it geographical? And the answer is no. It's spiritual. It's a spiritual separation, not a physical one. So Jesus is not telling his followers to stay away from bad people or bad institutions. Really? How do we know that? Well, look at the location of the church. Jesus says it is in the world. Verse 11, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. And Jesus could have prayed right here, Father, um, I pray that you would hurry and get them out of here quick. I'm getting out of here. Get them on the next train out of here too. But no, he doesn't. And look, in verse 15, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So Jesus is very explicitly not asking God the Father to take the church out of the world, but in fact, just the opposite. This would have been the perfect place for Jesus to lay out the blueprints of a Christian subculture if he wanted to do that. A culture that would be completely isolated, insulated, incubated, removed from the world. But he didn't do that. Jesus could have prayed right here that the Father would keep his people, Christians, away from sinful people and institutions. But he didn't do that. In fact, the Apostle Paul in his letter, 1 Corinthians, writes in chapter 5, verses 9 through 10. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. What Paul is saying is, look, I'm not telling you to stay away from all sinful people because in order to do that, you would have to go out of the world. And Jesus specifically prays to the Father not to take his people out of the world. So what does that mean for the church, for followers of Jesus? It means that we are not called to retreat. It, we, it means we're not called to back up, to stay isolated, insulated. We're not called to separate from the, church, from the world geographically or relationally. We're not called to form a Christian ghetto. Rather, we are called to go into the dark places where the light of the gospel is still needed. What Jesus is actually calling us to do is to live distinctly, holy, gospel-centered, grace-filled lives where? in the midst of the world. We're called to live holy, gospel-centered, grace-filled lives right in the midst of the world together. What confidence do we possibly have that we could actually ever do that? That we could be in the world and yet, yet not be of the world? That we could live right in the midst of the world and yet still live holy, gospel, grace-centered lives? Here is one of many reasons we have for confidence. Jesus himself has prayed for us. And he continues to pray for us, to intercede for us, to ask the Father, to enable us to do that. He asked the Father not to take us out of the world, but to protect us from the evil one. Do you believe that he's able to do that? Do you believe that Jesus and the Father are able to protect you from the evil one? Do you believe that the Father is able, powerful, willing to answer Jesus' prayer to protect you, to protect your children as you live in the midst of the world? Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16, 18, 
He said, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Gates of hell. I mean, can you imagine anything darker, worse, scarier, more intimidating than the gates of hell? It's like Mordor times a million. And Jesus says, they're not going to win. You need not fear. The Apostle John writes in his letter, 1 John chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So John is saying, even back then, the spirit of the Antichrist is already present in the world. And he continues, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Why? For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. King Jesus is strong enough to keep you safe in the world. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he can keep you safe? Do you believe that he can keep your children safe in the world? Jesus says, verse 12, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. Which means that if you are a Christian, or if you were to become a Christian, you have a good shepherd who is powerful and able to protect you, to keep you safe in the midst of the world. He doesn't lose a single sheep ever. He's able to protect you in the world, and that's where he's put you. That's where he has called you to live. The reason that Jesus doesn't isolate the church, that he doesn't just whisk it away out of the world, is because of the church's mission. The church is Jesus' mission for the world. Jesus sends the church into the world for the world. Look at verse 18. Jesus prays to the Father, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. The church is Jesus' mission for the world in the world. That is his plan for bringing light to the dark places. And why? Why would he do that? Why does he even care? Why is that his plan? Because God loves the world. A verse that may be familiar to many of you, some of you have probably memorized, is John 3.16 that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So, for God so loved the world that he sent his Son into the world. And in the same way, God the Son, Jesus, so loved the world that he sends his church into the world. In verse 2, Jesus tells us his mission. It's to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, to all the Father has given to Jesus. So God's mission is that he sends Jesus into the world to give eternal life to people whom he's given to Jesus. And what is eternal life? What does that even mean? Well, Jesus tells us very clearly in verse 3. It's knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So eternal life is knowing God and knowing Jesus. And Jesus's mission is to bring that eternal life, which means people knowing God, knowing Jesus, and the church is the mission for that communication, which means that the church doesn't exist only for ourselves. It doesn't exist only for those who already believe. It certainly exists for those who already believe, but it also exists for those who do not yet believe. 
So we don't exist only for ourselves, but for those who will believe through our words. That's what Jesus says. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word as we go out and tell people of the wondrous grace of God in Jesus. And so Jesus specifically sends the church into the world so that people will believe that God sent him and may come to know the love of God. And so Jesus is is communicating an expectation. Jesus has an expectation. He's creating an expectation that there will always continue to be new people, more people coming into the church, that people will continue to be rescued out of darkness into light, that the church is never going to be a walled off country club, but it's always gonna have permeable walls. So there's always going to be inflow which means that the church is called to have a life-giving relationship to the world. So what does that mean for how we, how we think about the world, how we approach the world around us? What does that mean for our general posture and attitude? I mean, often I think if we're honest, if I'm honest, our attitude sometimes is, is more a, a negative posture and stance. You know, but our, our posture, our stance, our attitude shouldn't be that we are always angry and condemning. That's not why we're here. Condemnation is is real. That's a real thing. But if we are Christians, we have already been set free from condemnation ourselves, and we're not the ones who are called to bring condemnation. We're called to love the world. We have a mission for the world, and Jesus guarantees that it will succeed. And Jesus himself is actually the supreme example that we have of what it looks like to live in the midst of the world, interacting with, engaging with sinful people, and yet, um, and not avoiding them. In Mark chapter 2, verses 15 through 16, we read, And as he, Jesus, reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Take note of just that. There were many sinners who followed Jesus. They wanted to be around him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? But the reality is, is that Jesus lived with us. He worked with us. He got dirty with us while not sinning. And then he died on a cross for us and for our sin. And he calls his church to also be in the world, not of it, but for the world. So what does that look like practically for people like us? What does it look like uh, if you're a follower of Jesus to be in the world, not of it, and yet for the world? It means that we are called to be engaged in, in every aspect of our society and culture around us, that we, the context in which our mission takes place includes government, education, business, law, science, entertainment, the trades, the arts. It means that we are called to be engaged, be in every sphere of life. The church's mission doesn't simply exist within our walls. It extends beyond the walls of the church. Jesus lived, he ate, he partied with, he had real relationships with people, no matter what their present beliefs or practices or lifestyles were. Think about this. Jesus regularly hung out with people who did not believe in him or who he was or what he came to do, 
Many of them didn't care. But these were the very people that Jesus came into this world in order to love, to serve, and to rescue out of the world. People like me. People like you. He calls his followers then to do the same, to live with people um, who do not yet know him, to enter into their world. So here's a very practical question. Do you have friends who do not yet know Jesus? Do you have what you would consider real relationships with people who right now don't yet have a relationship with Jesus? And if, if the answer is no or not really, let me encourage you to pray that God would lead you to places where you can build those kinds of relationships. That he would open your eyes to people in your life, in your spheres, that you could befriend. Because the reality is, if you are a Christian today, it's only because you were once of the world and were rescued out. And if you're here this morning and you're exploring Christianity, you're investigating, maybe you're skeptical or doubtful of Christianity, maybe you're frustrated because you've been possibly burned, welcome. This is a safe place for you to explore Christianity, investigate who Jesus is, what he claims. It's a place to hopefully be convinced of God's love for you, to hear about and be convinced that the reason that Jesus came into the world is because God so loved the world that he sent Jesus for you, to rescue you, to welcome you. So this is a place for you to be able to seek honest answers to the honest questions that you have. And we all have questions. But how will people be convinced that, that any of this is actually true? That Jesus really is who he says he is? Well, verse 21, Jesus prays for those who believe to be one and to be in us with a purpose so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He says, verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. So unity is a part of our witness to the watching world. Our unity together and the unity of the church is to be so compelling, so countercultural that it can only be explained by the gospel of Jesus. The gospel should bring people together in such a way that nothing else can. So that when people look at the church, what they see is people who look different from one another, people who are different ages, different colors, people who speak differently from one another, people who have different political views and maybe even vote differently. Oh my gosh. Um, and whose lives look different from each other in many ways, who have different ideas in all kinds of different areas about life and yet are connected in real relationship with one another and really love one another. That is what will cause people to look and to say, how is that possible? What brings this disparate group of people together? And the only answer should be because of Jesus and the gospel. When people look at the church, the flag that they see, the only flag that they should see flying higher and more prominently than anything else is Jesus and the gospel. And our shared commitment to Jesus and the gospel should result in unity that's demonstrated in real relationships where people actually know one another, are involved in one another's lives, pray for each other, and actually give sacrificially to serve one another. That's what Jesus says is what will convince people that the gospel is true. So what will enable us to do that? 
What will enable people like selfish old me to have an attitude and a posture like that? Because I'm so inclined to be critical, even condemning. What will enable us to stop looking down on people in condemnation and open our eyes and start reaching out to welcome people in? What would enable or motivate us to do that? And here's the answer. You'll only be able to do that. You'll only be free from your constant condemnation of others who don't have it all together. You'll only want to welcome other people in when you yourself are deeply convinced that God loves you. That he wants to be near you. That he wants you with him where he is. That he doesn't just simply tolerate you or put up with you because you work hard, you pay your dues and your taxes. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus has a radical, grace-motivated love for you that you don't deserve but you can't get away from. He wants to be with you. He says in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. He wants you with him. That's why he came. In fact, that's the promise. It's called a covenant promise that runs through the entire storyline of the Bible where God says, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will dwell with you. That's what the whole Bible is about. God doing everything necessary, moving heaven and earth in order that he might dwell in the midst of his people. That's why Jesus came. That's why he had to die. That's why we need to be forgiven of our sins so that God can dwell in the midst of his people. That's what Jesus longs for, for his people to be with him where he is to see his glory. And that includes you if you are a Christian. And that includes everyone who will hear these words and believe. And it might be that you're here this morning and maybe, maybe as you hear God's word and Jesus is speaking to you, he's actually urging you to trust in him, to believe in him. Maybe for the very first time to believe that he really came for you. He really came to welcome you, that he did everything necessary through dying on a cross to pay for your sins so that you could be with him where he is. After Jesus prayed this prayer, he got up and he went with his disciples, his followers, into a garden. And there, one of his close friends, a guy named Judas, uh, betrayed him. And he was arrested. Jesus was arrested. He was crucified. He died on a cross. He was buried. But after three days, he rose to new life. And the author of this book, John, tells us toward the end of the book, in chapter 20, Verses 30 through 31, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So Jesus invites you today, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your life looks like, he invites you to come and to be loved, to come and experience the love of a father. I mean, isn't that what your heart really longs for deep down? To know the love of a father who wants you with him where he is, who doesn't push you away, but who welcomes you? To know the true and unconditional love of a father that you don't have to earn? Jesus invites you to trust him. And when you do, you can be assured 
that that welcome, that love of God is with you forever and that you get to be with God forever. That's the fulfillment of the promise that runs through the whole Bible. God being in the midst of his people. That's what we were made for. That's the purpose of salvation. That's the end of the mission. Believers being with Jesus where he is. Recently, a few months ago, the United Kingdom inaugurated, coronated a a new king. And we don't have a king in our country, but if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a part of the church, then you actually do have a king, King Jesus, who is reigning and ruling right now. And our king isn't just a, a figurehead. He doesn't just sit kind of far removed. He's actually on the move right now. The reason that a new day dawns, the reason that we're still here and haven't been whisked away, the reason that we wake up each morning is because King Jesus is still at work gathering a people to himself, calling people out of darkness into his light. And the means by which he does that, the mission that he has put in the world is the church. And that's why we need to start new churches. That's why we need to move out into the dark places that are still in need of light, to go out carrying the hope of the light of the gospel. So let's strive to live lives together and to create church communities together that make Jesus compelling, that make him both believable and beautiful. And let's pray that Jesus continues his work of drawing people into his light. Let me pray for us. God, we pray that through the ministry of this church, And all the churches through it, both here and overseas, we pray that many will hear and many will believe the good news of Jesus and find life in him. Amen.